Well, good morning, everyone. This scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. When a woman had lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood before him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denali and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Many of you have shared with me uh, how appreciative you were of Larry Wingy's sermon two weeks ago that ended our series on prayer, the sermon series on prayer. Uh, I want to say thank you to Larry for her willingness to preach, uh, for the energy and the thought that she put into that message. Uh, I listened to the recording of the sermon. You know, all our sermons are on our website, and uh, boy, I was nourished, and we're grateful that Larry is uh, currently one of our elders and brings a prayerful spirit to MOPC. And now we've begun a new sermon series. And last Sunday, David Pasco was here, and he so beautifully launched it. Good news for people on the fringes. And he beautifully uh, introduced us to the Gospel of Luke and how Luke shows us how our Lord was deeply concerned for those people who were on the fringes the outsiders, uh, people who didn't think they could possibly be loved or accepted by God or that God would be interested in them. You know, Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to share good news, to preach good news 
for all who were down and out, those who were hurting, those who were alienated. Luke himself was a respectable citizen, being a physician. But he was still an outsider to the faith of Israel. He was a Gentile. He had not been raised in, quote-unquote, religion, if you would, or with those spiritual things, or with all the promises of, of God. And his take on the Jesus story is that there is not a person that the gospel cannot reach. Luke's take on the Jesus story is there's no boundary that the gospel cannot cross. Luke's gospel doesn't say everyone will be saved, but he says anyone can be saved. Remember Jesus set up man, John the Baptist? Before Jesus begins his ministry, John the Baptist came and preached in the wilderness, and his, his message was for the forgiveness of sins, repentance, and his baptism was for the forgiveness and repentance of sins. Well, right before this story about the woman and Jesus that Deanne just read for us, we're told about the people who were taking uh, John's message about repentance and forgiveness to heart, the people on the fringes, like the tax collectors, they're noted. And um, it says that they acknowledged the justice of God. They acknowledged that God's way was right. But the Pharisees, the insiders, rejected God's purpose for themselves because they didn't think they had anything to repent of, nor had they done anything wrong. And then Luke notes that Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and a friend of sinners because that's who he spent time with. Luke tells parts of the Jesus story that shows how deep God's compassion is, how deep our Lord's compassion is and how wide is his mercy for those who were shunned or those who were discounted. And Luke tells us about tax collectors and widows and rebellious sons and prostitutes and lepers and others on the fringes. And one of those, one of those was a woman who stormed a dinner party where Jesus is at. Luke tells us this woman had lived a sinful life. That's all it says. There's no specifics given. We aren't told what kind of life she lived. We aren't told what she did. Now, there are readers who have surmised, well, she might have been a prostitute. But the text doesn't specify. It doesn't say that. And it's not that this woman was considered a sinner by others, but Jesus didn't see her that way. No. She'd gone way outside the lines. She probably had been involved in some pretty decadent things. Jesus admits. He says her sins were many. They were many. Some interpreters will say, well, she was probably just a victim of society. Well, maybe she was. Or some might say, well, you know, the Pharisees were just real judgmental. That's why she was viewed that way. But what about just saying, you know, she made some choices for herself and she found herself in things that were just not God's purpose for her. And once we start rationalizing and explaining away our sin, we weaken the cross, we weaken the grace, we weaken the mercy that God wants to show to us. How about if we just let this woman be a sinner so that we can let Jesus be her savior? And the people at this dinner know what she's like. The dinner's at the house of a Pharisee. You ever dined at the house of a Pharisee? I haven't. 
Pharisees were the strictest group in the Jewish religion. Uh, they were not priests. They were not formally a, religious leaders in any way. They were like a lay movement. They didn't think the priests were strict enough. They didn't think anybody was strict enough with the law of God. And Pharisees wanted to keep the law down to the iota. And at times they were kind of religious watchdogs making sure everyone else was towing the line. Pharisees get a little bit of a bad rap in the New Testament. And it's true that they have a lot of conflict with Jesus and Jesus with them. But also Jesus, uh, he loves Pharisees. And here we see that he's accepted an invitation to a Pharisee's house to go and eat in this dinner party. And the Pharisee is named Simon. Now, houses in the, in, at this time and still today in the Middle East were constructed much more wide open, easily entered uh, than they are in our Western 21st century modern architecture where it's very walled in and closed in. And people didn't have a dining room table where they came and ate. They would eat on the floor. You'd put the food on the floor and people would recline and they'd lay on their arms and lay back and, and eat. And this woman enters the house and comes to Jesus. Now Luke is very detailed, very intimate in his description of how this woman approaches Jesus. She brings an alabaster flask of ointment. And she touches Jesus. She touches Jesus. That is the problem. Because in the Judaism of this time, ceremonial purity was all important. What was clean, what was unclean, who was clean, who was unclean, everybody kept track of that. You touch a dead body, you are unclean. If you're sick in any way or you've been near someone with a disease, you are unclean. If you have any issue of blood, you are unclean. You've done something immoral, you're unclean. Right outside the temple where Jerusalem, uh, where the temple in Jerusalem stood, they have excavated, you can go see them, just Many, many stone, what are called ritual baths, that they would fill up with water. And there's so many of them because before people went up to the temple, you had to cleanse yourself. You, you, you took all your clothes off and you got in the water and you cleansed yourself because you were going into the temple and you needed to be ritually clean, spiritually clean, physically clean. And these ritual baths are found all over synagogues as well, all over the Holy Land. Whatever this woman had done, she was in no shape to be at this party with these people, no shape to be going into worship at the temple. Uh-uh, no way. This woman is immoral, which is to be unclean. And she is touching Jesus. Jesus, this supposed man of God, a teacher, a prophet. The woman speaks no words. She doesn't say a word in this thing. She just wipes Jesus' feet with the tears she is crying. Think of the volume of tears. How many tears do you have to cry to wash somebody's feet? That's a lot of pain that's coming out of her. And she uses her hair to do this. She kisses Jesus' feet. She rubs the perfume into his feet. She touches him. You know, touch is very important in Luke's gospel. Read through the Gospel of Luke and pay attention to how many times there's a reference to Jesus touching somebody or someone reaching out and touching Jesus. Just read through the Gospel and see how many times Luke mentions touch. 
Um, Simon the Pharisee, who spent his life making sure he is clean, meaning keeping all the laws of God, making sure he's doing that, eating the right foods, doing the right things, deeply religious. He thinks to himself, you know, if Jesus really was a prophet, he would know what this woman is like who is teaching him. And here's the irony of what Luke tells us. Jesus knows exactly what type of woman this is who is touching him. And he's letting all this happen. Now, don't glamorize this woman. You know, let's not start saying she's not the type of, she's the type of person who we'd be hanging out with, inviting over for Independence Day grill and cozy up to. Probably not. People who have a rough or worn or loose look or we just sense something about their background, we don't invite them to our dinner parties and sometimes we don't even welcome them into our church. We keep distance from people who we know, who we sense, have a past, who may not be meeting our approval. Don't judge Simon for the way that he looks at this woman. But Simon, in his desire to be right with God, separates himself from this woman who's gone in a very different direction than what God would want for her, and he keeps the woman at distance. But what is a scandal to Simon and the rest of the people at this party is grace for this woman. Jesus doesn't isolate himself from sinners. He also doesn't refrain from talking about or preaching about our rebellion and alienation from God. Jesus understands that for the light to shine in the darkness, the light is going to have to interact and engage the darkness. Jesus doesn't say that this woman really hasn't lived far from God. She has. She's done things that just aren't right. She isn't clean. What Jesus does is tell a story. And Jesus turns to his host and he says this, this interesting detail. Simon, I have something to tell you. If Jesus had something to tell me, if he had something to tell you, would you listen? Would you hear what he had to say? Simon, I've got something to tell you. And Jesus tells a small parable about two men who are in debt to someone. One man owes a large amount. The other man owes a huge amount. And the man to whom they are in debt to forgives both amounts. This is a parable about canceled debts. No argument, no payback, just pure forgiveness. The man forgives both debts. But it's also a parable about love. Like a good teacher, Jesus asked Simon, which of the men in the parable who were indebted, who will love the man more? That's his question. Who's going to love him more? And Simon has the right answer. He says, well, it's the man who was forgiven the exorbitant, the greater amount. He is going to love more. And Jesus applies the parable to Simon and to the woman. This woman is pouring out love on Jesus in a way that Simon is not. And just as the host is thinking to himself, doesn't Jesus know what sort of woman this is? Jesus tells a story to make it plain that indeed he does know what sort of woman this is. And more than that, he knows what sort of person the host of the dinner is as well. This woman seems to have this deep sense of Jesus' mercy 
and love and acceptance of her despite her past, despite all she's done, despite where she's been. She is showing great love. And that is the point of the parable, love. How much love do we have for God? How much love do you have for God? Do you ever think about that? How much do I love God? Jesus teaches that our love for God is in direct proportion to what he's done for us. Realizing the grace, the mercy, the patience, the love that he has shown to us. And if we find ourselves not much interested in God or having a general indifference about him, paying our respects to the Lord here and there, but not really concerning ourselves with loving him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, maybe we just don't think he's done much for us. Because as Jesus says, whoever has been forgiven a lot, they're going to love a lot. And whoever's been forgiven a little, they're going to love a little. I mean, if you don't have much you need to be forgiven for, why love God? Those who are most passionate about Jesus are those who usually have a deep sense of their own need, a deep sense of their debt to him. And when our hearts are broken because of ways that we've offended God, the capacity of love just grows in us. Psalm 51, David spells this out when he says, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The New Living Translation says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Contrite, uh, it, it means to be remorseful. It means to even sometimes feel ashamed, to, to feel guilty about what we've done. This woman is contrite. Her tears and her actions show it. They are actions of great love. There's a great emphasis in this story on the woman and her sins. Yet, Jesus doesn't breathe one word of judgment towards her. He knows it, but he doesn't say one word of judgment. Whereas Simon, who's probably upheld every letter of the Jewish law, Jesus takes him to task. Where there's brokenheartedness, Jesus meets people with forgiveness and salvation and grace. And Jesus tells the woman three things. Tells her three things, first of all. Jesus says, point blank to this woman, and for everybody to hear, your sins are forgiven. Because she has sins that need to be forgiven. And they are. And this, of course, causes further turmoil, because only God can forgive sins. So who is Jesus to be doing this, unless, of course, he is God come in the flesh? Second thing Jesus says to her, he says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. That doesn't mean that she's earned her saving. Faith needs something to latch on to. And faith turns to the person of Jesus, to his mercy, what he has done to make forgiveness and salvation possible. Jesus Christ produces or provides what our faith needs to latch on to. So faith here is acceptance. Not working it out for ourselves. It's accepting what God offers to us in Jesus. And what do you need to be saved from? Your faith has saved you. What do you need to be saved from? 
This woman had things she needed to be saved from. What about us? You know, the thing about sin is that it doesn't show up on MRIs or x-rays or in blood work. Sometimes it doesn't show up on therapy. Doesn't mean it isn't there holding us, plaguing us like a virus that no one has the cure for. This is about what goes on in our souls and the very core of our being and who we are. That is what God can do, and he can work there what no one else can do. And then third, lastly, Jesus tells her to go in peace. She has peace with God. Boy, she was on the fringes. Now she has peace with God. But as the preacher and the Bible teacher, Fred Craddock, points out, to say go in peace only adds to the tension. Because where's she going to go? Where's this woman going to go? Who's going to accept her? Her way of life has removed her from every place in that city that might help her with restoration. Who wants her? The one place where she is welcome is the street among people like herself. What she needs is a community of forgiven and forgiving sinners. The story screams the need for a church, not just any church, but one that says, you are welcome here. That is a vision as a place where people who have failed can be restored. Where people who are wrestling with themselves can be loved and accepted. Where people who are broken, and they know they're broken and they're lost, can encounter Jesus. Not people who think they have it, but people who don't. A place where those on the fringes can be welcomed. They can ask questions. They see, they hear Jesus and change through repentance and forgiveness of sins and faith. And when a church is a place of forgiven sinners but separates itself from a sinful world, then we wonder why people aren't finding Jesus. That's what Luke is trying to get across in his account of the Jesus story. Two religious leaders, Simon the Pharisee and Jesus, in the presence of a sinful woman, one believes the right thing to do is to distance himself from her. And the other believes the right thing to do is to move toward her with forgiveness and salvation and the blessing of peace. We don't know what happened to this woman after this, do we? We don't know how that parable affected the Pharisee. I mean, Simon understands the parable that Jesus gives. He's heard it. He has the right response to Jesus' word. He understands it. You know, we can listen and we can understand the message and know the right answer and yet remain totally unchanged. Christian faith isn't always about knowing the answer. It's about living the truth. Uh, did Simon apply that parable to him about the two debtors, I wonder? I mean, did he have a change of heart? Wouldn't that have been something? Remember, Jesus is for the sinful woman and he's for... Pharisees too. He talks to both of them and he doesn't turn either one of them away. The response though that Jesus looks for is like that woman. Contrite. Bowing at Jesus' feet. Loving the one who loved us. Aware and recognizing that all our faith must be placed in him. Which one are you? 
Lord Jesus Christ, you are full of grace and so much mercy. And someone, and probably more, someone here this morning is very far from you, but they want to approach you. They want to come close. Thank you, Jesus, that you welcome them. Thank you that you welcome each one of us. When we come with our failures, our wretchedness, our inner poverty, forgive us, save us, give us your peace. Amen.